Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest has had her short stories published in No Tokens, Electric Lit, Split Lip, Wigleaf, and other publications. Originally from New England, she is a former bookseller and a 2021 A Public Space Writing Fellow. She has lived in New York City, Ithaca, New York, and currently lives in Amsterdam. Her debut short story collection, I Meant It Once, is out now. Please welcome Kate Doyle. Hey, Kate. How you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm very Oh. Of course. I am so excited. I loved your short story collection. I meant it once and I'm glad we are finally able to talk and meet via Zoom. Yes. Um, uh, Tell readers a little bit about what your collection I meant it once is all about. The short version is that I often say it's about being a mess in your 20s. Um, But I think uh, I would also say that it's uh, a story collection about why we tell stories to make sense of our memories, the memories that come back to us, uh, stick with us over many years, um, relationships with people that span many years. So old friends, siblings, um, parents and children. Uh, and there's a thread in it that is a lot about um, being a being a young woman in the world and the ways in which storytelling is a way to make sense of the memories that maybe broadly society isn't able to endorse as important or uh, relevant or urgent. And so, um, a way of making sense of the strong feelings you might have about your own experiences. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I like the short version, being a mess in your 20s. Uh, that's probably why I connected <laughs> with it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that uh, That perfectly encapsulates it. I think, uh, who isn't a mess in their 20s, right? Nobody hasn't figured it out. Yeah, You're the ones who pretend know. to. Yes. I think you don't know at that age, like you feel like you are uniquely screwing everything up. Um, yeah. Such a little you know, at the time, at the time I wasn't, when I was starting to write it, I didn't really understand that I was writing about being in your twenties. I thought I was just kind of writing about life and time. Yeah. And, and then it was only with some years of remove that I was like, you know, people start to say to me, this is about being in your twenties. And it's true that the feelings of that time are so dire and the stakes feel so high. And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, no, I love it. I think people who haven't yet discovered it will love it. And people who have read it, I've, I've just seen great things on the internet about your book. So congratulations on everything. Thank you. Um, what excerpt from a story will you be reading for us today? Well, I'm going to read a complete, very short story called mm. I Figured We Were Doomed. Um, Terrific. At the, uh, I chose this one because, well, I like to be able to read a full story and because I think it gets at a lot of the themes about memory that carry through the whole book. So, um, yeah, this yeah. Is called, yeah, this is called I Figured We Were Doomed. Get away. In the time I was dating M, I sometimes thought I must be an okay person since his dog liked me so much and seemed to trust me, didn't seem to be receiving messages from her pure animal instincts that I was actually very bad. Other times I knew that of course the dog's affection meant nothing. Naturally, the dog liked me. Sometimes at breakfast, I gave the dog pieces of cereal on weekends, bacon. The first time I stayed over, I sat with the dog on the bed while M was in the kitchen. I patted her ears, communicated to her with my eyes how uncertain I felt, these nerves, this near happiness. I know you can keep a secret, I joked to the dog, thanks for being discreet. She dropped her pink tongue from the side of her mouth as if she found me funny. At the time, I often experienced my okay personness coming into question. 
like the day my roommate received bad news from home, and I, watching her take the phone call, seeing her become upset, imagined that for a few days I would have our place to myself. My roommate had tears in her eyes, and I pictured myself making dinner with M, kissing him in the kitchen, then on the couch. Plus, it was always so easy for me, so instinctive to glare at strangers on subway platforms where they stood too close or walked too slowly. I was at home in frustration. I vented it openly. Take it easy, a man in a peacoat said to me once as the F train shuddered away. Shuddered away. Don't worry about it, I said and kept walking. I can imagine my mother saying this too. Don't worry about it. Same severity, same disdain. Which was another problem with me. Why was I always prepared to blame my upbringing? In contrast, M was endlessly kind, generous, self-effacing. It was one of the reasons I figured we were doomed. In the swirl of a snowstorm through the glass front of a coffee shop, I once watched him take the dog, who was not a small dog, up into his arms while I ordered for us inside. This way, she would not have to stand in the sidewalk salt, which irritated the soft pads of her feet. She had been wincing. He lifted her into the air, belly up through falling snow. He used to say to me, she loves you, because the dog would run to me, desperate, when I came in the door. Or else, catching sight of me when I crossed the park to meet them, she'd bark and strain against the leash with longing. This was the summer before things ended between us. I'd kneel on the grass, and M would let her go. He'd be stuffing the leash in his pocket with one hand, and he'd reach with the other to kiss me, the dog barking with all her happiness. Once, when I was a child, I asked my mother to explain some things about dying. She imagined it was peaceful, she told me. Honestly, I hated her for that. What is there to love in a permanent ending? As for the future, it was difficult for me to be explicit. I could always, is the closest I came to saying what I meant, and I didn't even say it to him. Instead, I wrote it in a notebook, and later I wrote a poem about writing in my notebook, and then for months I wrote and rewrote my poem so that, in time, I could always became this emotional shorthand, as in, I could always do this, keep going this way, could keep being me and you. It was so entirely familiar to me in my mind, I would forget he knew nothing about it, nothing at all. In this recurring dream I've had since then, M's dog can hug like humans do. Her limbs can bend in ways I can't explain. She barks, and then her barks turn hoarser. One day, I remember rearranging books in his apartment, taking them from the shelves, reordering them in new places, stacking them on the floor. A hot day, late afternoon, we were laughing. When M brought me a glass of water, I kissed his face. Light warmed the room in lengthening slants. That night, falling asleep, M rested his face close to my hair. I touched my nose into the crook of his neck. The dog spread herself, unhesitant, across us both in the dark. The strings of her ribcage were warm on my legs, the city lighting shapes over our blanketed forms. Anyway, it didn't work out. Thank you so much for reading. Um... Yeah, we joked about being a mess in your 20s and you not really realize or I, none of us really realizing we're a mess or we're, we're we think we're unique and we're all messes. And it took you a while to realize like you were writing about your 20s, like because mm -hmm. you need time and years, yeah. you know, um, what do you think it is about? Because I, I think a lot of good books are about being a mess in your 20s. What do you think it is as readers and as writers, we like to explore that time period? Hmm, well, I think part of it is purely chronological, which is maybe that like a lot yeah. of writers are writers, you know, not all, but 
many writers have a writing impulse from a young age. And so I think, um, yeah, it's a time when, I mean, I was just, I think I, I ended up writing a book about my twenties and because I was just starting to kind of figure out how to write stories. And that was, that was the age that I was. And so it mm-hmm. kind of naturally came into it. Um, but I, I think, um, yeah, the, the, uh, you know, I think there's this way that's at that time, so many possibilities are kind of, you have to start making choices and any choice forecloses other possibilities. Um, and so I think there's this strange sense that like, there's such a feeling of loss all the time, even as you're moving forward, even, in, even when you're sort of experiencing good things, there are, there are feelings of loss at that, mm-hmm. at that age. Yeah, definitely. And um, a lot of this podcast, this very short Q&A is more about like the writing and um, how the book came to be. Um, What's the earliest like writing that's made it into the book? What story? Well, I often say that the beginning of the book was the story, This is the Way Things Are Now, which is the first of three stories about the three siblings, Helen and Evan and Grace. Um, And in particular, it's close to the point of view of Helen who is um, the oldest and having a falling out with her longtime best friend and um, yeah, wrestling with all these, these feelings of that age that we're talking about. Um, and that was the beginning of finishing that story was when I kind of felt, I, I think I figured something out here about how to write this form that I want to do again. And I want to write more stories. And, and I had a feeling that I wanted to write more about those characters as well. Um, but the actual the writing in the book that is the oldest is from the last story briefly um which is set um the narrators on a study abroad program in ireland and i had written some of that in as an undergraduate before i ever kind of realized i was years before writing a book and there was just a moment about maybe halfway through writing the book where i i came back to that story and realized that the those themes you know i I, that more than any story was rewritten a lot but those some of the some of the writing there is actually the oldest technically yeah yeah sure um going back to that story in particular years later did you see did you cringe did you see like good thing obviously you saw good things because it became a story that was published but what was it like going back to your undergrad writing like as an adult like a functioning adult yeah um some of it there are paragraphs there that I'm really happy with that actually are pretty much as they were and Mm -hmm. um other things where I think there were these sort of fussier flourishes and just like more self-consciousness that um, that I edited away as time went by. And, but I think my obsessions with, like I've just always been so fixated from a very young age on time and how weird it is. And like in the most simple way, just like the human experience of like living with your own memories and how you're you're in one present moment and all this other stuff from the past can can come back up and be right there with you. And um, we all live with it. So I don't know that we always think about how weird it is, but it's, you know, I, I, those kind of themes have been, you know, something I'm trying to have been trying to figure out and work with how to, for so long that I think, um, there's also a feeling of real continuity there that it felt very natural to go back to that piece. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, find time super interesting. And I think, I think we, you hear about it as a kid, like life goes fast, you know, Ferris Bueller. Uh, yeah. uh like your parents talk about how quick you grow up and it's like I don't I don't realize until I sit down and even when I am reading too a lot of time it's like there's so much like so much time can happen in a book and it's like when it feels really lived in it's like oh yeah this is like my I don't know I just get really like yeah. existential when I read I guess <laughs> now 
Um, and then even like now talking to authors who have spent like, you know, maybe a decade writing a book or a collection and, uh, it's like your blood, sweat, and tears have poured into this. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Me. Time. <laughs> Time is wild. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. So you have, you've published a lot, uh, you know, No Tokens, Split Lip, Joyland, uh, and your debut book is a story collection. What is it about like stories as, as opposed to like long form fiction or essays or creative nonfiction that makes you tick, that gets you going? Yeah. Well, I actually, when I was an undergraduate, I, I was a, I was in the like, creative nonfiction writing program. And that's really where I think of hmm. time when I became serious about writing. Um, but there was also a moment like a few years later where I, I felt like really hungry to depart from the facts in some way. And so in a way, these stories, like I kind of think of them as inhabiting like a, a bit of a gray area where, um, I often start from something real, but then it changes so much that they, they truly aren't, they really aren't true stories, but they often come from, they begin in a way that was true even when I began back then writing creative nonfiction, which was like something that that came from life that I kind of felt I had to deal with in some way. Um, and I think versus long form, um, I'm very curious about long form. I'm trying to learn now how to do that. And it's certainly like an interesting thing in publishing that we we do sort of expect our story writers to be able to write a novel, even though mm-hmm. it's such different forms. Um, but I think initially it, it was for very practical reasons. It was just like, I didn't, um, it felt like a manageable form. It felt like an approachable form. I, I knew I loved to write. I was, you know, it, it was a size where I could kind of wrap my head around it and say, okay, I've done one. I think I can do this again. Um, and so it was initially very practical, I think, to be writing stories rather than a novel. I just didn't have an idea for a novel. Uh, mm-hmm. And as time went by, I do feel like I really came to appreciate the way a collection of stories can take the reader on this journey that is not a plot journey, that's so thematic, where um, the stories can complicate each other or they can, you know, the ending of one can really color how you understand the next story and as it begins and and that kind of way the stories are in conversation with each other with each other became um really just exciting to me yeah yeah and i think um with collections like there's an art form of how you sequence them uh <laughs> did you kind of nail that right away to how it is now or what was that like <laughs> it's it's one of the parts of it that feels very mysterious to describe i just know that i redid it many times and that i often was like I did it. It's done. I got the order right. And someone would say to me, yeah, I think that's true. And then I'd show it to someone else and they would say, I don't think so. <laughs> I do it again. Um, and even when my editor at Algonquin um, acquired the book, it was a little bit shorter at that point. And she just said, you know, if you were going to, if I were going to say to you, do you, could we include a little more in this book? Do you have other stories? And I had the stories I had were the ones that are uh, more surreal. And I, I just had this idea at the time that they didn't belong somehow with the more realist stories. And I'm really glad that she kind of gave me that invitation to broaden my sense of what might belong in the same book, because it is so much a book about how things live in the mind. So those more surreal stories, I now think really um, where I ended up placing those in the book, I think it um, adds something to the, yeah, to that thematic journey. Yeah. With, um, you know, because stories can inform other stories i guess specifically with like the three sibling stories did you know the order that those kind of had to be in for character readers to meet them yeah well those were kind of i guess the anchors around which like those always kind of mm-hmm. stayed where they mm-hmm. had that because i knew that um the shorter one 
uh, cinnamon, it's called cinnamon baseball coyote. Um, it's very much like it, 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 it's sort of in the past very much where it's kind of just flying through different memories. And um, so I knew that one should come between the other two are much more like they are the bookends. Like one is, it, yeah. one, you know, they follow each other very sequentially it's winter break of a particular year of their lives when the, the two younger siblings are home from college and the oldest one is is in this period of being out of college and adrift and um yes yeah, so the first story comes first and then there's the one in, that comes in the middle of the book where it's just kind of a lot of different memories of their lives together and then the last story of the three ties up what happened in the first one sure so yeah definitely i always knew where those would go and it was kind of a question of the <laughs> and then um as like a short story writer uh, and reader, um, what, who, like, who do you feel, and this is a loaded question, so maybe we can cut it if you don't want to answer, but like, who do you feel like is like, they have it going on right now? Like they, they can write a goddamn good story. Like, like writers writing yeah, right, now? right now. Yeah. And the, yeah. Oh, um, well, I got to do some events this summer with, with other story writers, which mm-hmm. was my, um, Alexander Chang's collection, Tomb Sweeping. Yeah. So good. Um, uh, and I know you know this one too, Rebecca Turkowitz, um, here in the night. Yeah. I uh, had a really good time doing an event with her. I, I feel like we both have this obsession with story and what it, you know, and, and hers is a lot of like story as ghosts and hauntings. Mm-hmm. And But even like in the event, we kind of held our books up and looked at them. We we're like, it's like mine is day and hers is night. Like, I think <laughs> it's very much in conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, so, yeah, there's, I mean, so many, so many yeah. exciting story collections are coming out this year um i, I haven't i've been waiting for it to come to my bookstore because i live in amsterdam so things don't know new books don't always come right away but um uh every drop is a man's nightmare i'm really really looking forward to reading that oh so good yeah i know um, i remember i know you loved it you, you i am obsessed with it yes <laughs> I, I feel and maybe you know i've been doing day beautiful and then writing freelance prior to that but i feel like yeah we are hitting like the short story renaissance where like publishing was realizing it doesn't all have to be novels that can sell or affect how people read yeah it's it's really interesting because like it's such a you have to really stay like it just just keep yourself in a positive mindset when you're like like even when you sell your collection I feel like it's such an exciting moment but everyone around you your agent your editor is saying like and it's a huge risk that they're taking on you and no one will want to buy this and you're just kind of like I'm happy but I'm also like it's always tempered by that in this funny way and um and it doesn't seem to like coincide with I just feel like my book was on submission in like the sort of early pandemic years and I just feel like everyone anecdotally that I knew was saying to me, like, I don't have the attention span for something longer. I love a short story right now, but somehow that hasn't really caught up to the way we talk about stories and publishing. And yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a frustrating thing that I hope, I I hope you're right. I hope it's, there's a lot of great collections. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, um, every few months I'll jot down, like without looking at lists or who I've interviewed or anything, I'll just be like, what books are still in my mind? You know, that's how I kind of create the day beautiful's like end of year list. Like, what have I thought about the entire year? And most of them are short story collections this year. And I'm like, oh, I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> um, I mean, for myself more. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so you, you listed two authors who you who talk to. Who are some of the like writers that have influenced you in your growing up in your career and everything? Who? Yeah. yeah, who did you I, read a lot of? I mean, I love this question. It always feels so sort of unfathomably like huge. Just, there's so many, but I mean, very early on, I mean, I would, I would definitely say, well, because I mentioned I was in like, I was created yeah. a writer at one point. That was uh, Joan Didion was such a big influence in terms of just the love of syntax and mm-hmm. um, 
maybe like I would also say sort of witness of one's own emotional experience as a way to understand um, something bigger about the world around you. And um, yeah, so that she's a big, big influence. And um, so many story collections that I read while I was working on this book, um, Sweet Talk by Stephanie Vaughn, um, Cities I've Never Lived In by Sarah Micah, Majka. I'm never sure which one you say her name. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I mentioned Alexander Chang and uh, her book, Days of Distraction, a novel, um, not a story collection, but um, there was like a an honesty in that mm-hmm. and a candidate in that novel um, that was really um, influential for me. And Caribou Adams' collection, um, You Never Get It Back, amazing book. Um, yeah, but I always find this question, you know, that could go on and on for so many. <laughs> Thank you so much to Kate Doyle for joining the beautiful First Taste Reading Series to read from her debut story collection, I Mentioned Once. It is out now via Algonquin. You can follow her on katedoylewriter.com and on Twitter and Instagram at sometimes underscore K8. sometimes underscore K8. You can find A Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at daybeautiful. And as always, I'm Adam. This is A Beautiful. And you're all beautiful.